Hello? Hello? Ooh, must crush. Fire bad. Ooh. Oh, it's you. Hey, remember to lock up before you leave? I got a show to do. Lock up before leave. It was on a Halloween night many years ago, much like any other Halloween, that I was first introduced to the monsters of the world. I was but a lad, and yet their fearful assault knew no bounds. But t'was merely a visual assault on the silver screen where my own mind betrayed me into believing there was actual danger. But just like that dream where you're in class with no clothes on, there was never any real threat of personal injury. And as I grew older, these ancient beings of the macabre became less and less fearsome and more and more comical. It became not just difficult to believe in a brain-eating zombie, but humorous. Many people read horror stories, watch horror movies, and even listen to Michael Bolton albums. I guess they enjoy being scared. I can't say I actually enjoy being scared, but I can say that as an adult, I become more fearful of potential job loss, roller coaster accidents, and the death of loved ones, more than the attack of an alien invasion or the undead. So I'd like to examine some classic monsters to show you just how little terror they truly should strike in the hearts of men. If we held a poll about the most terrifying monster, Vampire would be right up there next to the Michelin Man. What the hell is he supposed to be, anyway? A rubber mummy? Vampires. Masters of the undead. Sustain themselves on blood. Able to leap tall buildings with a single bound. Perhaps the most fascinating thing about vampires is the idea that they're not really alive in that they don't require the normal things humans require, such as food and water and presumably air, which means they might make great astronauts. And yet they do require blood from other sources. Your grandmother's vampire tales would have you believe that it must be human blood, but modern science shows us that the blood of a long-quilled porcupine would be just as effective. You never hear of one starving to death. They're kind of like lawnmower engines in that regard. They require gas, and if you deprive them of it, they stop. But if you give them some more, they're back up and running, even after hundreds of years. It just might take some oiling. But what's the deal with this whole drinking blood thing? A few things come to mind. They gain energy from blood just as any other entity would. Or, their own blood isn't capable of sustaining them. Or, they just have an eccentric palate. Or, there's something supernatural going on. If they're gaining energy from blood because it's somewhat nutritious, if not delicious then that means that they must have a full complement of supporting internal organs. I mean, just pouring blood in your gullet doesn't actually gain you energy. Their other organs have to be functional. So this would mean that their heart really isn't their only weak spot, and no special materials are needed to puncture it. The exception might be if they have such amazing healing powers that organs could heal themselves almost instantly, a la Wolverine. Maybe certain materials cause an allergic reaction, slowing down the healing process, thereby providing them with a chance to die. The solution? Stab them with little hollow tubes, much like what police use to flatten people's tires. The wound heals, but the blood still spills. But what if their own blood can't sustain them, and therefore they have to drink the blood of others in an effort to replace their existing, defective blood? This was proposed in a movie starring Wesley Snipes, in which shooting vampires with a silver bullet not only killed the vampire, but disintegrates their clothing in an amazingly unrealistic computer animation sequence. I have a very serious problem with this explanation. I can drink all the OJ I want, 
My blood may become somewhat more acidic, but it won't turn into citric acid. Drinking blood won't get any into your bloodstream, at least not in blood form. Your gastric acids have a way of turning substances into less complicated substances. Now if you say that, well, they don't digest things anymore, it goes straight to their veins. I'll reply that not only has the purpose of their organs changed, but so has the actual structure of them. Food doesn't go from your stomach to your bloodstream, so for vampires to have the blood of their victims flowing through their own veins, then somehow becoming a vampire makes your esophagus go straight to your aorta. There's way too much wrong with that. But wouldn't this make it interesting if a vampire met the alien from the movie Alien? You know, the one with the acid for blood? But maybe they just like the great taste of fresh blood. I could buy this. I mean, once you go drac, you don't go back. But that means basically they're not required to drink blood and merely have an addiction. This means a patch or gum could be developed to reduce their cravings. It could be multi-stepped. Week one, the patch and two glasses of pig blood a day. Week two, a stronger patch and just one glass of freshly squeezed bison a day. By the third week, it's just a patch, some gum, and a few crickets. Until two years later when you get a paper cut and subconsciously stick your thumb in your mouth and BAM! Off the wagon and you're out all night killing sheep and sheep herders. But not necessarily in that order. But the explanation of just liking blood means there's nothing special about blood from a life-sustaining aspect. Lastly, maybe there's just something supernatural. Some demon has set up overly complicated rules that certain entities are required to drink blood. Blood gives these individuals some extra powers, and at the same time gives them the most obscure vulnerabilities that are completely unrelated to their blood cravings. Somehow, this demon manages to make it so light bounces off vampires just like everything else, so the human eye can see them. But that same light will not bounce off a second item such as a mirror or a chrome bumper on a 57 Plymouth Fury. But to me, jumping the supernatural gun means just because I don't currently understand it, it can't ever be understood. And as such, logic cannot be used against it, because the counterargument is that it defies logic. I don't think anything is beyond our eventual understanding. Maybe not now, but someday. But the most important aspect of their insatiable thirst for hemoglobin is that in this age of shared needles and STDs, vampires seem to show no concern for their own well-being with respect to catching various blood-based diseases. So they must have a natural mechanism for fighting off these contaminants. I, for one, would gladly donate sums of money for scientists to capture and study these undead creatures in the hopes that we could isolate whatever it is that gives them such a strong immunity to the viruses of the world, as well as their regenerative abilities. The whole blood thing just doesn't make sense to me. But let's move on. Let's assume that you have an unwanted vampire problem. How do you permanently free yourself of its company, or at least get it to move out of the coffins in your basement? Supposedly, it's hard to kill them. With a few exceptions, you can stab them, burn them, cut off various extremities, suffocate them, and even poison them, but they just won't die. They might be in incredible pain, but since they're semi-immortal with amazing regenerative abilities, you'll just be pissing them off and you'll wind up looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life. You need something more certain. A common method is to ram a wooden stake into their evil heart. Apparently, using tempered steel to pierce a major organ like the heart causes them only minor discomfort and a slight headache. But if the cause of their blood pressure reduction is from a hardy plant rod, they're doomed. This raises the question of what constitutes a wooden stake. Many rigid plants can be considered wood. Does it have to be a certain diameter? Would a strong toothpick be enough? Could you epoxy sawdust to bullets and shoot them in the heart? 
Well, maybe not. The, the dust would probably burn off. But what if you made special bullets with little hollow sawdust-filled tips? Surely that would be cheaper than making silver bullets. But the whole idea of heart staking raises the question of why their heart is more important than other organs. With a few exceptions, the loss of any organ is lethal. It's just a difference of how long you can survive without it. So why would vampires need a heart and not a spleen? Again, it could be their amazing regenerative abilities, but that would make any head injury to be the most lethal. You don't live too long without a brain. Insert joke here. If your heart is vital, there's a host of other necessary organs that are all interdependent. Your heart relies on your lungs to oxygenate the blood. Your skin and sweat glands are required to eliminate certain byproducts. The intestines are needed also for removal of waste as well as absorption of materials. What if you managed to permanently destroy a vampire's large intestine so they had to replace it with a colostomy bag? I guess the Vampire Public Relations Committee doesn't want that getting out. The image of a fanged pale guy stating he wants to suck your blood while having a bag of his own poo tucked into his cape just doesn't seem to strike much fear. And if sunlight is an issue, he has to find an all-night drugstore to replenish his bag supply. Thank God for the internet and online pharmacies. A less common belief is that vampires cannot cross running water. But this raises several issues. The first is that there's water underground almost everywhere you go. It might not be moving much, but in some places there's probably a slight current. In addition, I find it hard to drive anywhere without going over a small stream or brook. So that means there's some minimum distance they have to be to said water, or there's some minimum speed with which the water must be moving relative to the vampire's speed, or perhaps it's more related to the vicinity of a certain volume of water. But what about indoor plumbing and public sewer systems? There's water probably flowing underneath you as you drive to work in the form of drinking water and human waste. This limitation would make them terrible astronauts because launching them into orbit would cause them to die as soon as they crossed over an ocean. This just can't be true. If it is, then all the vampires would already be dead. It would be too difficult to survive and they'd all be stuck in Europe anyway as there wouldn't be any way for them to cross the oceans or even rivers. This method of injuring them simply doesn't hold any water. It is commonly believed that vampires cannot be exposed to sunlight. It burns them to a crisp faster than my aunt could ruin toast. Think about this. As non-undead humans, we often experience 16-hour days. We are free to move about wherever we choose. Can you imagine how limited a life a vampire leads? They cannot leave their house until after sunset, and they must be home before sunrise. They've got less than an 11-hour day. Imagine the difficulty of being 500 years old and always having to get home by a certain time. It's like being an eternal teenager. They might want to stay out late, but they can't. Normal buildings are chocked full of windows, so if they lose track of time in a friend's house, hiding in a closet would be their only means of survival. How dignified is that? But I've got to believe that this limitation would make them so fragile and immobile that over their hundreds of years of life, since they can easily accumulate great wealth, that they would have founded a scientific organization for the advancement of empirical waterproof sunblock. I mean, without that, they can only be active at night. Sure, cities like New York are hopping all hours, but most cities are closed for business after 9 o'clock, and many bars close at 2 a.m., so at least four of their 11 hours would be wasted as nothing would be open. What a boring life! So I'm going to assume they'd have solved the sunlight issue. Another way you can kill them is to forcibly separate their head from their spine. Decapitation. I can get behind this one. It seems logical to me. I suspect this is more tied to the fact that their brain would stop working, of course, 
If they require a brain, then they require kidneys and lungs, so that kind of shoots down the whole supernatural thing. They supposedly have an allergic reaction to silver. I find it interesting to be a supernatural being that has allergies. But if it's just an allergy, just as Claritin D has provided relief to millions of allergy sufferers, I've got to believe that the secret order of vampires would have hired scientists to solve this problem. I suspect the same would be true of garlic. I mean, polio used to wipe us normies out by the thousands, but not anymore. Vampire science probably moves forward, too. I've heard you can quote a Bible verse. How about 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 7? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of the God. I'm not sure how hearing about an old man killed by God for simply trying to keep his precious ark from falling off a wagon is lethal to anyone, but, but if they're supernatural, I, I guess so. But doesn't this raise the issue of what Bible verse? Does it have to be your religion, the vampire's religion, or the true religion? Which raises another question that I won't go into here. One other thought comes to mind. If vampires have their regenerative abilities, does that mean that they couldn't have a sex change operation? But I go back to the drinking of blood. This first concept is where they break down. Requiring blood means they require energy in a somewhat normal or at least understandable fashion. So let's do the math. The human body has six quarts of blood. That's a gallon and a half. How long do you think you could happily survive off of a liquid diet consisting of a gallon and a half of French vanilla protein shakes, which are probably more nutritious than blood? I looked up some liquid diets, and if, the big if, you agree that 10 cups of liquid a day is acceptable, although personally I would be wallowing on the floor from lack of energy with that small amount, that would equate to two and a half quarts of blood a day. So each corpse would last you not even three full days. And that's if they manage to extract all six quarts. I would think old Vlad would reach a point of diminishing returns around the fifth quart where they'd have to suck even harder than the energy they would gain from drinking it. I mean, you're talking about extracting the blood from your toes, calves, and testicles. I've never seen a vampire turn their victim upside down and vigorously shake them like some giant bottle of ketchup in an attempt to get the last drop. So they don't even get all six quarts. If a vampire has to kill every two days, I think even vampires in Chicago would get noticed by the authorities. And it's sometimes reported that their victims turn into vampires from the bite, so they'd be doubling themselves every two days. The numbers don't work. You can't hide that quantity of death. I, I just can't get behind the idea that they're supernatural. They require sustenance in the way of blood, but it doesn't make any sense how they use it. They can regenerate almost any wound, including burns, Unless, of course, it's caused not by a direct flame, but by a strong light from a fireball at the center of our solar system. Their organs are useless, and you can destroy them with no ill effects to them, unless you puncture their heart with an elm branch. Then they die. If they're supernatural, someone has a great sense of humor. I'll make you immortal and able to heal all wounds, but at the same time, I'll make you vulnerable to the most common of things. If you stay out drinking too long one night, you're dead when the light of a nearby yellow star hits you. Possibly the next most recognizable monster is that hairy star of Teen Wolf, Michael J. Fox. I mean, the werewolf. Werewolves are perhaps the most boring of monsters. I mean, their power is the ability to transmogrify into a large dog. Yeah, I don't want a chihuahua jumping on my leg, much less a 200-pound wolf, but that's it? I mean, this is a major monster. Well, they do possess strong foot odor, as well as amazing regenerative powers. According to modern books and movies, which are always excellent sources of factual information, 
Werewolves can't even control when they change. They are slaves to the cycles of the moon, just like some transformational menstruation gone horribly wrong. But if they're affected by the full moon, a few thoughts come to mind. The moon's light is just sunlight reflected off a large object in the Earth's orbit. So shouldn't reflected sunlight from, say, a mountain observatory dome be equivalent? It's white, it's round, and probably reflecting just as much relative light onto the werewolf. And why aren't they changed from a full moon during the day? Every once in a while, the sun and moon are up together. Moonlight is fairly weak to begin with, but just because the sun is out doesn't diminish the moon's light. It's just being overpowered by the sun. But the light is still hitting them. What if on our next trip to the moon, we sent a werewolf astronaut? Would he just stay in wolf mode all day long? Or would it require a full Earth in the moon's sky? What about a wolf in orbit? Maybe that was why Mir Space Station had so many problems. It wasn't mechanical failures, it was a severe case of lycanthropy as one of the were-ruskies ran up and down the hallways in search of a victim. And does it have to be our moon? If you were a wolf in a spacesuit on Mars, would a full Phobos send you into a frenzy? Maybe the idea is that werewolves only change when a certain quantity of sunlight hits them after being reflected from some other object that is at least 200,000 miles away. Yeah, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Just speaking of full moons, I've occasionally heard that statistically there are more police reports on nights with full moons than other nights. If this is even true, I'd like to offer a possible alternative to the actual moon itself being the cause. In high school, I knew some serious weirdos. I knew several men and women that actually wanted to be vampires. I'm not kidding. And they were deep into the whole gothic thing and performing spells. Again, I'm not kidding. I'm not saying they ever got any results, but that they tried. These people would intently pay attention to the moon's cycles because of whatever their belief was, I don't know. So maybe, just maybe, it's not that the moon was actually doing anything to them, but rather they felt it was the appropriate time to have odd behavior. It made them feel that they were really supernatural because they convinced themselves that the moon was exerting some force upon them. Perhaps they were all a bunch of lunar hypochondriacs. The moon was just a scapegoat for their irresponsible behavior. Your Honor... The moon made me purchase smokes in the nude. I, for one, am ashamed of these people's behavior. The moon hasn't bothered us. It gives us the tide and that man, and we turn on it the first chance we get, blaming it for murders, petty thefts, and vandalism. But I'm getting off the subject. Back to werewolves. How do you kill one of these bastards? Well, aside from hiding a lit M80 inside a snossage and then feeding it to it, it appears silver is often considered the only way to kill them. Apparently, they have a strong allergic reaction to silver, just like vampires. If, like most people, you don't have silver spears and daggers laying around, there's enough silver solder in some printed circuits that if you're confronted with a werewolf, you can just bash him over the head with an old motherboard. And you were going to throw out that 486. But I've never heard it mentioned that werewolves don't require regular sustenance. So, trapping them in a pit, denying them food, and forcing them to put lotion on their skin would be just as deadly and boring as it would to anyone else. Werewolves are a little more plausible from a being-killed standpoint. Of course, the whole transformation thing is, like, so totally wrong. Even if you could change shape, do you realize how much energy it would require? Maybe that's why they're so hungry immediately afterwards and start stalking victims. But enough of werewolves. They're just, they're just not very interesting to me. With all this talk of mythical monsters that we have little direct evidence for, there's at least one potential monster that we all carry around with us at all times. It's made of the animated bones of the dead. Skeletons. Mostly relegated to role-playing video games and Evil Dead sequels, 
Skeletons seem to have lost favor in pop culture, giving way mostly to rotting zombies. I suspect this is because the skeleton purveyors realized that it just wasn't practical to have a collection of bones with no muscles or ligaments cruising the cities in search of... Uh, what is it skeletons want? Maybe they're just really cold in search of some skin. Or a decent windbreaker. And some pants. But think about it. Skeletons have no power of their own to move. They're missing muscles. So that means that some spirit must be using voodoo or chi to animate them. So these spirits that are trying to kill you can't just pick up a sword and throw it at you, but they can continually balance a femur on top of a tibia and a fibula as well as all the tarsals and metatarsals. What a pain in the ass. Just stab the guy. But maybe the spirit does this to induce fear. I guess that would work. I mean, I wouldn't want to fight an erector set of bones. But then again, I, I wouldn't want to fight a bum. Come to think of it, I really wouldn't want to fight a floating sword. So maybe the spirit could just hold a skull in one of its hands and a sword in the other, and he could even do ventriloquy gags by moving the jawbone. Zadite. Zadite. That would be pretty terrifying and require it to only manipulate two bones versus 200 plus for an entire skeleton. I suspect if you were able to do some tests, an animated full skeleton versus an animated partial skeleton would yield equivalent amounts of fear from people. Thus, the spirit could get the same amount of fear out of a hell of a lot less work. But the very idea of getting all that calcium working together just seems like more trouble than it's worth. Lastly, I want to briefly mention the most spectacularly mundane monster ever imagined. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein's monster. I endeavored to endure the torture of this book in high school, and I shall endeavor never to read such a torrentially boring story ever again. It is with that in mind that I endeavor to set forth a quick tale of my largest concern of this wretched tome. The book is actually kind of vague about how Frankenstein made the creature, but it strongly suggests that he used corpse fragments because he gets the parts from dissecting rooms and slaughterhouses, so we'll say corpses. So Dr. Frankenstein decides he can give life to non-living things. He begins stitching together corpses. Did I mention you used corpses? Upon working his scientific magic, the creature comes alive and suddenly our dear doctor is repulsed by the vile visage of the being he's created. He thinks it's really ugly and shuns the creature, which is what sends the monster on a killing spree, being shunned by its creator. What I don't get is that he made the thing out of dead bodies and mentions how disgusted he was while doing it. Did he think it was going to look better once it was walking around the room in a jaunty, ragged-edged vest? I mean, that's like making a sausage out of skunk anus and being surprised when it tastes bad. Also, I dare you to find a book that uses the word endeavor more than Frankenstein. I dare you. It's like old Mare got paid extra each time she typed Endeavor. Maybe she was sponsored by the Society to Resurrect Usage of the Letter V. I'm not trying to persuade you on anything in this episode. In the spirit of Halloween, I wanted to shine a light on the specifics of some monsters to see how well they would hold up. I mean, just ask yourself, why do these ridiculous restrictions exist for monsters? How could they survive? Despite their strengths, in most monster stories, once the protagonist understands what they're up against... The monster goes down, and down hard, quite readily. If you can look at these supposedly supernatural creatures critically, maybe you can also look at other supposedly supernatural entities critically. I have to point out that if you do a tiny amount of research on this, you'll find that, like many things in life, it depends on who you ask. These monsters don't actually seem to adhere to any real rules. One source says vampires can walk in the day. Another source says they get slight burns from starlight. Some state that witches fly on broomsticks. Others state that they exclusively fly Delta. 
I just chose the issues that are common to American pop culture. So I apologize to the people listening outside the U.S. that don't understand what the hell I've been talking about and are angered by the fact that I didn't touch on the Bulgarian belief that werewolves can be stopped by reciting the alphabet backwards. I also didn't even try to touch on every aspect. I've gotten some feedback that people like the episodes to be a little shorter and to the point. I'm mentioning this now at the end of the show, which is probably the wrong place to do this, but for anyone that didn't know, October 31st is Halloween here in the States, where children dress up as Neo from the Matrix or the Little Mermaid or SpongeBob SquarePants and beg for candy door-to-door. It's generally accepted that Halloween is supposed to deal with scary things, but somehow now it's just about free advertising as children dress up as their favorite non-spooky cartoon or movie character. I'm surprised they don't have coupons hanging from their backs for saving $3 off related DVDs. And I'm waiting to see someone dressed as the Best Buy yellow price tag. Monsters just don't scare me. I'm not trying to be all macho. They just don't make sense when you logically look at them. Am I the only one who sees so many holes in their very existence as to make it a joke? That Cocoa Puffs mascot, Sonny, scares the hell out of me more than monsters. Some insane bird that's obsessed with a specific breakfast cereal. Just the thought of it sends shivers up my spine. <laughs> Get over it and go find another food source, you retarded bird. I'll leave you with yet another Mark Twain quote done in my Pepperidge Farm guy voice. Terror is an efficacious agent only when it doesn't last. In the long run, there's more terror in threats than in execution. But when you get used to terror, your emotions get dulled. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks a lot for all the great feedback you've given me. Visit our website at logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com. 